We are in this third week in our series called Teach Me to Pray, in which we're looking at this uh, very, very uh, familiar prayer, this prayer that Jesus himself taught us to pray, prayer that begins with, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. We're looking at this prayer because it does indeed teach us. It teaches us about God. It teaches us about the relationship that we can have uh, with him. And it does shape our lives. And so I think it's only right that before we take a closer look at another portion of the prayer, that we take a few minutes to allow God to prepare our hearts and our minds to receive the message that he has for us this morning. So would you please bow your heads and pray with me? Let's pray. God, our Father, we give you thanks that you've brought us together as your children, as your family, to once more hear from your word. And so we pray, teach us to pray. Help us understand what it means to have that relationship with you. Lord, give us open hearts and minds to receive the message that you have for us this morning. And God, I pray that the words of my lips and the meditation of my heart would be pleasing in your sight, O God, who is indeed our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So Jesus teaches his disciples to pray. He teaches them a very, very simple prayer. It's a prayer that, uh, like I said at the beginning of the service, a, a four-year-old can memorize. But it's a prayer that's deep and profound. One that when we take a closer look at it, we realize that there are some amazing truths contained in just a few lines. In our very first week in this series, we learned why we should pray. And learned specifically that we pray because God is our Father in heaven that he delights in hearing from his children, that even though he made the whole universe, one of the things that is dearest to his heart is when he hears us pray, when he has an opportunity to enter into conversation with us. That's a reason why we pray. And then last week, we learned a little bit about what the, our priorities in prayer should be. And Jesus lays it out very, very clearly. He says that you're, the first thing that you should pray, the first priority, the, the all-consuming goal of prayer should be this, that, Lord, your kingdom would come, your will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. He said the reason we pray that is because God's kingdom is a kingdom that takes our broken world and makes it beautiful. And that his desire is that that kingdom would indeed come through us and to those around us. And so he said that that's really what it means to make this prayer our own, is first and foremost to pray, Lord, make your kingdom known through me, but then also, Lord, make your kingdom known to those around me. And today, the focus shifts a little bit. It shifts as we begin talking about how we are to pray for ourselves, that's where Jesus goes next, after he highlights that we're to pray to our Father in heaven, after he says the kingdom should be your priority. He invites us to pray for ourselves, which may seem a little odd for some of us. Because for many of us, we've been taught that when you pray, you should really prioritize other people. Other people who are sick or who are facing uh, emergencies in their lives. We should pray for big things, things like peace, peace on earth, goodwill toward men. These are the things that we should pray for. And that if we do pray for ourselves, we should only really pray for ourselves in emergencies. You know, like when you're on fire or you're being chased by a bear. <laughs> that, that then it's okay to pray for yourself. But if you pray for yourself and it's not an emergency, well, then that's just selfish. Okay? We, and, and you don't need to pray for yourself. Just focus on other people and, and only ask for yourself if it's, a, if it's a really big deal. And if that's what you've been taught, what I want to tell you this morning is you can ignore that advice. Because Jesus makes very, very clear that we are to pray for ourselves. He says, when you pray, pray like this. Lord, give us this day our daily bread. Give us this day our daily bread. 
And it's important to understand what Jesus means when he says that. Because I think nowadays we say, God, oh, give us this day or daily bread. Okay, so that means that I can pray for myself, but only for the bare minimum. You know, only for, for the absolute lowest thing that I, that I the fundamentally need to survive. But in Jesus' day, that's not how this, this image of bread was used. When people talked about their daily bread, they were talking about absolutely everything that they needed for their entire life. Daily bread is what you required in order to survive and to thrive on a daily basis. And so when he says, I, I want you to pray, pray, give us this day our daily bread, it's praying that, that we would have food on our table and plenty of it. That we would have clothes on our back so that we would be protected from the wind and weather. That we would have a roof over our heads, that we pray for our families, our spouses, our children, our loved ones. Everything that you need for your day in, day out life, I want you to ask God for that. That's what Jesus says we should pray. But the question then becomes is, well, why? I mean, doesn't, doesn't God know that we already need that? I mean, isn't isn't he going to give me that anyways? I mean, for, for, for us living in our society today, we live in a society of abundance, which means that whether I pray this prayer or not, I'm going to wake up in the morning and there's going to be breakfast. That whether I pray this prayer or not, I still have clothes in my closet and clothes in my dresser. That whether I pray this prayer or not, I'm still going to have gas in my car. I'm going to have everything that I need. And in fact, Jesus earlier on in the Sermon on the Mount, just a chapter before his teaching on prayer, says this. He says, I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be children of your heavenly Father. For he makes his son to rise on the evil and the good. He sends rain on the just and on the unjust. You catch what Jesus is saying? He's saying, God is going to give you your basic needs for everyday life, and he's going to give it to you whether you ask for it or not. That God is going to give you everything that you require for your daily life, whether you thank him or not, whether you pray or not, whether you like him or not. God sends his rain on the evil, uh, his son on the evil and the good, sends rain on the just and the unjust. So why? Why does, why does Jesus tell us to pray this way? I think the answer is that prayer is not just about getting something, it's about becoming someone. That prayer is not just about getting something, it's about becoming someone. That when Jesus calls us to pray this prayer, what he's saying is he's saying, I want you to pray this prayer because this prayer is going to do something to your heart. It's going to transform who you are. And I think in order to understand this, we can go to a pretty common example. We can think about parenting. Parenting 101 is this. If you have a child and you bring this child into the world, it is your job as a parent to provide for their basic needs, whether they ask for it or not. Okay, we understand this as parents. It's our job. We have to feed our kids and clothe our kids, make sure they have a house, make sure they get to the bus stop on time, that they get a good education, that they're going to their doctor's appointments. We do this stuff as parents for our kids because that's our job and because we love our kids and we know that this is what they need. And it doesn't matter if they ask or not. We're going to give them their basic needs. We're going to provide for them. That's what we do as parents. And yet what's funny about parents, though, and, and I know this uh, from my own life, is we still insist, though, that they say things like, please and thank you. I mean, I know that my kids, like, need food. And my son comes to the table and says, what are we having? I'll say, please. Oh, can I please have some dinner? Yeah. Was I not going to give him food? No, of course I was going to feed him. So why do I do that? 
Well, it's because I want him to be aware of the abundance that he has. I want him to be thankful for the things that are provided for him. I want him to know that his father and his mother are going to take good care of him. I want him to understand these things because I'm afraid of what my kids will become if they don't learn gratitude. They will grow up and they will call what our society, this is a technical term, calls a jerk. And I don't want my kids to be that. I want my kids to be people, adults, who have gratitude and are thankful, who learn to ask and make their needs known in respectful ways. And the same is true with God. That he, as our Heavenly Father, invites us to ask. Because he desires to do something in our hearts. And specifically, I think there are three things that God desires to do in our hearts when we pray this prayer, give us this day our daily bread. I think the first thing that he wants to do is he wants to awaken us to our dependence. He wants to awaken us to our dependence. You see, there's a lie that many of us believe. And it's the lie of self-sufficiency. And it goes a little something like this. I don't need your help because I got this. Don't need your help. I got this. I'm an independent person. Everything that I have, I worked for. The food that's on my table, I bought that. Because I'm a self-sufficient purpose. Don't need no help. I got this. And this is about the age when we learn that, by the way. Anybody who's spent any time with a toddler at all knows that this is true. That, that early on when our kids are starting to use words and make their will known, they, they, they develop some form of a, don't need your help, I've got this. For my kids, my, my oldest, Abby, when, when she was a toddler, the way she let me know that she didn't need my help and that she was independent was simply to declare, myself. It wasn't even like a full sentence. It was just this declaration, myself, I've got this, Dad, back up, I no, need, don't need no help. Evan, my, my second, uh, he actually used a full sentence. He says, I can do it. You know, we try to help him, and no, I, I can do it, I can do it. And then my youngest, Ariel, her, her phrase is, I'm a big girl. That's how she lets us know, I don't need your help, I'm independent, I'm self I'm a big girl. Whatever form this takes for our kids, we, all, all kids do this, right? At some point, they let us know that they're, that they're in charge, that they got it, that they don't need no help. It's like, you can't even put your pajamas on correctly. I got, I got, I got this, Dad. Okay. I got this, Dad. Like, you can't even make it to the, to the bathroom. What do you mean you got this? Nope, don't need no help. I'm in charge. This is like how our kids march around the, the, the world half-clothed and totally independent. At least that's what they think when they're toddlers. And so, and, and, and this is, and honestly, as adults, we still do this, though. I mean, think about this from God's perspective for a moment. We grow up and we go off and we get that career. We start climbing our way up the corporate ladder. We're able to buy that home we've always wanted to get that car that we desire. And we say, I am a self-made person. I did this. I don't need no help. I'm independent. What I have I earned, I worked for it, and the whole time what we don't realize is that we have been building our castles with sand that God has provided. We build our castles with sand that God has provided because there's a lot that we have that we did nothing to earn. Think about it. When you wake up in the morning, your heart beats without you having to work at it. You have air that you can breathe into your lungs, which keeps you alive. You did nothing 
to bring yourself into this world and to be born. That was all your mom. She gets all the credit. And furthermore, you live on a planet that is perfectly designed for us to succeed as creatures. It is tilted exactly 23.5 degrees in relation to the sun. Scientists have said that if our planet was even a thousand yards off in either direction in its rotation around the sun, we wouldn't even be here. This world is perfectly designed in order for us to not only survive, but to thrive as organisms. And we did nothing to contribute to that. And when I pray this prayer, Lord, give us this day, our daily bread. It's bringing me back to reality. It's helping me to see that there is a lot that I take for granted every single day, which is generously given to me by God out of his love. It enables me to pray what the psalmist prays in Psalm 8. When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him, the son of man that you care for him? And yet you've made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. You have given him dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet, all sheep and ox and the beasts of the field, the birds of the heavens and the fish of the sea, whatever passes along the paths of the sea, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. This prayer awakens me to my dependence upon God. See, the reality is, is there are going to come moments in our lives that are going to knock us off center. Moments in which that illusion of self-sufficiency will be shattered. And the gift that Jesus gives us in this prayer is that we don't have to wait for those crisis moments to know where our daily bread comes from. This prayer awakens us to our dependence and gives birth within us to wonder and awe of the God who provides us with everything that we need. It's the first thing that the prayer gives us is it awakens us to our dependence, but it gives us something else as well. It helps us to rest in God's abundance. This prayer helps us to rest in God's abundance. You see, there are many of us who live with a scarcity mentality. In fact, a couple years ago, there was this show on A&E. It was called Hoarders. Does anybody remember this show? A couple of you? I think I watched maybe half of one episode. And the reason why I could only watch half of one episode is because it was disturbing. See, hoarders followed people who, have, who are compulsive hoarders. That means that they never throw anything away. They just acquire and acquire and acquire. And, and they would go into these homes and they would try to help. They would actually try to help the people who are hoarders. But as they walked through the house, first of all, they could, usually they could barely even get in the house. And even if they were walking through the house, they would find things like rotten food. Food that had just been sitting there for days and days and days and was going bad, but they couldn't throw it away. They, were just, they had this compulsion to hoard and it's easy to look at that and to judge people like that, but the reality is, is that we all do this at some level. Because a person who has this, this tendency to, to compulsively hoard something is they are trying to cling to something that will give them a sense of stability and peace in life. That if I have this thing, I will be okay. And the truth is, is we all do this at some level. 
For some of us, it's not things, it's food. I got to eat the right, I got to have the, the right food or the best food, some kind of food. Others of us, it's our achievements and our accomplishments. Saying, yeah, I did that. I accomplished this thing. For some of us, it's relationships. You know, it's that, it's, for some of us, it's like, I just love to be in love. I can never be alone. And so we just bounce from one relationship to another, whether it's good for us or not. And for others of us, it's our intelligence. It's those degrees that we have. It's being seen as smart. We cling to these things because we think, if I can keep this to myself, if I can have this thing and control it and hold on to it, I will have a sense of peace in my life. We're all hoarders underneath. And the question we have to ask ourselves is, so what is it for you? I mean, for me, the thing that, that I honestly hoard is books. I'm terrible with books. I just buy books all the time. I read books all the time. Jenny's just like, we can't move until you sell some of your books because need, they'll need like a truck of their own. But the reason I do that is because I think that if I can learn more and read more, then I will have value in the eyes of others. I will be the smartest person in the room. And so the question is, well, what is that thing for you? What do you cling to thinking that there you will have peace, that somehow that will bring comfort in the midst of anxiety? Because what this prayer does is it quiets our hearts. It brings an end to the scarcity mentality that says there's not enough to go around. It helps us to see that I can rest in God and in his abundance, trusting that he will provide everything I require. And so I don't need to continue to acquire. It teaches us to, to say what Paul can say. I just love what Paul says in Philippians chapter 4. He says, And I'm confident that my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. He says, I can rest no matter what because I know that God has, has everything in abundance and he will richly and generously give it to me when I need it. You see, many of these tendencies to hoard, these are, these, are, these are the result of people operating on a scarcity mentality. I mean, think about this for a moment. The reason there are people who are hungry these days is not because our planet is running out of food, but it's because those of us who have it hold on to it, thinking that if I give it away, I won't have enough for myself. You see, our... our are, when you see people going without medical care, it's not that we don't have the technology. It's not that we don't have the necessary medicines and drugs in order to pass it all around, but it's because there are those of us who have it who don't want to release it. We have it so that we feel we can be in control, that we can have it for ourselves when we need it and make money off of it when we don't. And so we withhold. We burn and throw away more medicines and drugs than we could possibly use. And so people go without. The people who struggle with things like depression and loneliness, it's not because there's a lack of people out there who can love you. It's that we withhold love. Thinking that if I were to give love away and allow someone into my life, that I would get hurt and so I keep it to myself. You see, it's a scarcity mentality that leads to a scarcity reality. And when we learn to pray this prayer, what we begin to see is that our God is a God who generously provides for us out of his abundance. 
Because you see, the deepest need of the human soul is to be reconciled with the God who made them. To know God's love. Because there is a separation between us and God. It's a separation that comes from our selfishness and our sin. But one of the things that we see in Scripture is that God provides even for that. That even when we are separated from him, he enters into our world as Jesus Christ. He lives with us, he dies for us, and he rises again to new life so that we might have a new relationship with God. And if that is the lengths that God is willing to go to provide for our deepest need, then we can know that he's able to provide for every other need imaginable. Again, I love how Paul says it in Romans. He says, He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also graciously give us all things? And when I pray this prayer, I can rest in God's abundant generosity. That when I know he's going to provide for every need, then I'm actually free. I'm free to give away what I have financially and materially. I'm free to give of my skills and talents in order to help someone else. I'm free to give of my time in order to be present to a person who is lonely. When we learn to rest in God's abundance, it gives birth to generosity and to the gift of freely giving to others so that they too might know of God and his abundant love. There's one third and final gift that God gives us when we pray this prayer. That's a gift of gratitude. He gives us thankful hearts. Hearts of gratitude. Hearts that can say thank you to God in all circumstances. See, this idea of giving thanks is something that comes up in the scriptures over and over and over and over again. If you read through the Bible, you're going to find lots and lots of places where the different writers are saying, give thanks, give thanks unto the Lord, give thanks, give thanks, give thanks. And it's just like, why? Ah, I get it. Give thanks. What's so powerful about Thanksgiving? Well, here, let me give you a clue. Next time you wake up in the morning and you know it's going to be a bad day, I want you to give thanks. The next time you wake up in the morning, you roll over and you hit the wall. The next time you wake up in the morning because your kids decided today's to the day to watch the sunrise and they're at your bedside at 4.30 a.m. I want you, before you get out of bed, to give, God, uh, to give thanks to God for 10 things. Just 10. Just list off really fast. Lord, thank you for 10 things. And I want you to observe what happens in your heart. See, gratitude has the power to transform us, to help us to step into a world and not to engage with it in an attitude of complaint and grumbling, but to step into the world and have our feet firmly planted on the ground, to breathe deep air into our lungs and to say, thank you, God, that I'm alive today. Thank you, Lord, that your son has come up. Thank you, Lord, that at your word the rains come and water the earth. Thank you, Lord, that my car starts. Thank you, Lord, for the food that's on my table, food that I didn't even have to work for to harvest. Lord, thank you for all the ways in which you have blessed me, and it helps us to enter into our world not grumbling, not complaining, but with joy, saying thanks be to God. Again, I love what Paul says, going back to that passage in Philippians 4. 
He says, I have learned in whatever situation that I am to be content. I know how to be brought low and how to uh, abound. In any and every circumstance, I've learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. See, I think that that's actually the mark of Christian maturity, is that we can enter our world, though it's broken, and still give thanks for the good. That we can point people to the joy that we have in God as we give thanks to the one who is abundantly provided in all things. Do you see now? Prayer is about so much more than getting something. It's about becoming someone. Someone with a soft and thankful heart. Someone with a heart that's at peace, resting in the abundant generosity of God. Someone who is aware of their dependence and yet has no fear but lives with a deep and abiding trust that the God who made all things generously and richly provides for me. So I am free. Free to be generous with all that I have. That's the gift that God gives when we pray, give us this day our daily bread. It's in his name that we say, amen.